I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we're talking about what pink color is the pink color of the year. We're answering a listener question about filling up bare walls. And we're spilling the beans about a major renovation that we've been tackling right here at home. Hey, Sherry. Hi, John. So what's new with you this week? What's new with me is that one of our neighbors, a good friend of ours, is renovating her bathroom. Maybe three weeks ago, she was like, hey, I'm getting bathroom quotes and they're all really high for me. And I said to her, have you ever considered renovating your bathroom with you as the GC, meaning the general contractor? And all that means is that you manage the subs. So subs or subcontractors are just people you manage directly. So like you would be in contact with the electrician yourself. You would schedule the plumber yourself. Right. You're dealing with all the people doing the various different pieces yourself. You're the coordinator. It is sort of a frustrating process because you are scheduling things and things move in a renovation. Inevitably, one person will not get something finished. A part won't come in. Something will be broken. And you will spend a lot of time recalling everyone up that you've already organized and sort of rescheduling everything. I think you're really scared people off of contracting or general contracting their own projects. <laughs> well, let me tell them why it might motivate them. You can save thousands of dollars. Like she's going to do this renovation for 25 to 30% of what she would pay a general contractor. So she is GCing it herself and she's like putting it on Facebook. She's very excited and she's like, I don't know what I'm getting into. Sherry, this is all your fault if it fails. And I'm very, I'm like nail biting, but very excited because she feels super empowered. She's done really fun things. You know, you have to keep it fun. So when you're managing a project and it's such a slog, she's gone to like an architectural salvage place and she found a great door that she's going to use as a sliding door to the bathroom. It's like antique chip paint, amazing old hardware. She's painstakingly found someone who's going to build custom shelves for her. And it's been such a fun project for her. But I do think she has some insecurities since it's her first time doing it. So the reason she called um, me. We have it when it's like not our first time. I know. Time it's our hundredth time and we still second guess everything. And you know what? We change a lot during the process. And that happens whether there's a general contractor or not. There are just some things about your house you have to figure out as you go. So anyway, she called me over to check if I thought where she roughed in sort of a half wall for her shower was too close to the door and once the vanity was in place, if it would be too tight. And what we actually did together as an exercise is I was like, let's get some cardboard and we used some like old drywall and we boxed out where the vanity would be. We built up the drywall and the cardboard and leaned it in a way that it basically simulated the vanity's height and the vanity's depth. Oh, that's smart. And so then we could see, well, does the shower rough in feel close? And we realized if someone's brushing their teeth and standing at this vanity, where the shower was framed to go was tight. You know, when you're walking behind someone's chair that's pushed back in a restaurant, you have to say like, excuse me, and kind of squeeze through. You could get through, but it would be like, there'd be like a morning ritual of someone squeezing by you. But in staring at it, we realized that shortening the shower, which wouldn't mess with the drain centering. It would just open things up and by lowering the half wall, so the half wall was, let's say it was 44 inches and we were saying, let's bring it down to 32 inches. It does mean she'll purchase a bigger piece of glass for the shower surround, but it will open it up and it will make sure that from the doorway, you will see the window light, which we thought was, yeah, we thought that was like an important part of the room. That's so funny because I was just thinking about that for our master bathroom, not that we've done it. (laughs) I I know you and I- We're thinking about it a lot when we're showering. Showering with it, the glue tile. I'm sure you're thinking about it a lot more having now been over to her house. Well, yeah, it was ready to like sledgehammer the wall. It looked so good. I mean, it was a disaster because it was demoed, but it looked so exciting because I saw what it was going to look like. Well, I appreciate your restraint with the sledgehammer because yeah, I'm welcome. not ready. You're welcome. But I was thinking about if there's a way for us to maybe open it up so we get a little bit 
more natural light into our shower because it can be kind of like cave-like the way it is now. But I, it did definitely do what you're saying to me, which is that standing in there, I was like very excited to tackle ours. And I'm happy to see how hers turns out because I think it definitely is sort of a test run to see what we could do if we wanted to put two shower heads and have a giant shower. Sometimes we debate having a tub and a shower or keeping a tub with a shower. So it's been fun to see all the things she's come up with. Oh, cool. Well, I feel like your what's new is a natural transition to another thing we could talk about for what's new. Because one of the reasons we haven't tackled our bathroom renovation yet is because, spoiler, we've been busy with the kitchen renovation. Ooh, ooh. Yes, podcast exclusive, exclusive. Exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. (laughs) We need to find a sound effect that's like, pew, 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 pew. (laughs) I think you you just wrote it right there. Okay, so we have been working on it. We've been working on it for a little while, but we learned from the process of doing our living room and our dining room, which are rooms we completed after we sort of took our blogging break. And then after they were done, shared pictures of them in our book. We realized that process really worked well for us. It was nice kind of like flipping the script on how we had done everything before while we were blogging, where it was like real-time updates and all this stuff. But with the living room and the dining room, I think it alleviated a lot of the self-imposed pressure we used to feel about making interesting choices. And we could make sure that the things we were picking, the finishes and the colors and all that stuff were just because we liked them and we thought they'd look good in our house. Yeah, and I think one of the really nice things about that process was it felt very natural to just go at our own pace because we didn't have these like deadlines. Yeah, because there's always like a almost like a ticking clock once people know you're working on a project where you're like, okay, I got to make sure that I keep this thing moving. But with a kitchen, I mean, a kitchen renovation is stressful enough as it is. I mean, yeah, I think our not first, having a kitchen for a while. <laughs> I think our first kitchen took us four months and it was like 60 posts. I mean, it was a ton. And our second kitchen was probably four months again and 80 posts. I mean, well, in fairness, <laughs> the first kitchen was like the whole reason the blog started. So it, right. it really did consume the blog for a long time. But I think it was a nice experiment for us to try doing, you know, after doing two kitchens that we were, you know, dozens of posts about, it was nice to try doing a kitchen and not writing any posts about the entire process and getting it to a point where we really like it and want to share it. And now we can sort of, we have hindsight, if that makes sense. We can explain things knowing where we ended up. So when we share mistakes we made, it's not just hanging in the air like this is a mistake. It has a conclusion. It has mistakes we made and how we fixed them. You do imply with that that we've figured out every detail. We are still noodling. Right. That's why we haven't even shot it yet. So we can't share it yet because we haven't photographed it yet. I mean, we photographed the process things to share that. Yeah, what but we haven't taken our like, quote unquote, after photos. Exactly. Because yeah, we've... We've already changed out the lights. We have added some tile that we weren't planning stool, on adding. There was a stool switch. Yeah. I mean, I mean, little things, some big things. And obviously, you know, I don't think our design path is ever a straight line. There are always like roadblocks and dead ends and turnarounds and all that stuff. And we certainly had some hiccups along the way. Yes. Yes, we did. And they weren't funny then, but they're funny now. So I feel like we can laugh about they're them. They're almost funny now. They're almost funny now. And the cool thing is, I mean, I haven't really fact-checked this, but I'm pretty sure it's probably the most extensive and biggest renovation project we've done in any of our houses. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, like floor to ceiling to windows to, to the windows, electrical, the plumbing. To the <laughs> but now the clock is ticking because you guys know about it. So you're probably like, show me the pictures tomorrow. Yeah, well, we have to take the pictures first. It's going to take us a little while. Yeah, but hopefully like sometime in the next, I don't know, week or two, we're going to hopefully get our first post up about it. It's certainly going to be more than one post because there's just a lot of stuff. I mean, from a thousand pictures. Yeah. Well, we won't (laughs) share a thousand pictures, probably like 750. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but we we want to take you guys through the process a little bit that we went through so you understand how we landed on the layout that we chose, the finishes we chose, sort of some of the uh, mistakes we corrected along the way, and obviously, hopefully lots of pretty after pictures. The layout is completely different than the old layout. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. So yeah, we're very excited to share it with you guys. I hope this doesn't sound like a tease. We just we thought this was a nice place to share it first, the podcast listeners, to thank you guys for listening. I think this calls for some celebration, and I like to celebrate with some what's not. I sometimes like to do that. Well, too bad. You're doing it now. As many of you know, this is the portion where I quiz Sherry. I give her a category of things. Many are real, but some are fake, and her job is to tell me what's real and what's not. This one was inspired by what we saw recently was that Sherwin-Williams announced their color of the year for 2017, even though it's still 2016. It's called Poised Taupe, and they describe it as a part earthen brown, part conservative gray, which was kind of funny because we had just talked about and even did that blog post about how we were sort of loving these beige-ish colors that were sort of like warm grays. And so this, I think, kind of falls in that category. It's a little bit darker. Yeah, it's a little darker than Edgecombe Gray, which is one of our favorites by Benjamin Moore. But um, the one they picked is really pretty. I like Poised Taupe, although the name is hard to say. Poised Taupe. Now that I'm saying it. Well, what I wanted to quiz you on this week for what's not is some of the previous colors of the year from both Sherwin-Williams and Benjamin Moore. Ooh, this will be fun. Because both of them have been doing it for several years. Uh, Benjamin Moore, it looks like they started in 2010 and Sherwin-Williams shortly after in 2012. So I'm going to give you six paint color names. Okay. Only five of them are real colors of the year. Okay. One is a made-up paint color name or it just wasn't color of the year? It's not even a real paint color name. Oh gosh, this is going to be hard because you're good at paint color names. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. There are six. One is fake. Vintage wine. I would believe that's real, but let me hear the rest of them. Coral Reef. That is definitely real as a pink color name, unless you're just that amazing that nobody else has named something Coral Reef. And I feel like Coral did have a moment. Aloe. Aloe, I believe, is a real pink color. Lemon Sorbet. That could be the made-up one. Crown of Laurel. Oh my gosh. Well, what's that? Like a deep green? I mean, I do feel like an evergreen or emerald would be a very happening color. Last one is Breath of Fresh Air. That would be like a light blue-gray. I believe it because blue is like basically everyone's favorite pink color all the time. And what was the other one that you said that sounded like it was a blue? Aloe was like probably a greeny blue. And then... Poker face right here. (laughs) Well, okay. So my answer, if you want my true answer... Yeah, which do you think is the fake? I don't think lemon sorbet would ever really have a moment because it sounds like pastel yellow, which is a tough color to make the star. I like it in small doses. And we have painted rooms yellow before and the walls reflect and make you look yellow. So it's hard to get right. And I don't think the pastel version would be the one that you'd get right. It'd be more of like an earthy yellow with different undertones like gray, not the pastel Easter egg yellow. So I'm going to say lemon sorbet fake. Well... It looks like you do not agree with Benjamin Moore 2013 when they named Lemon Sorbet the color of the year. I mean, gray and yellow had a moment. They had quite a comeuppance. Now they've sort of come downance. But I do (laughs) think... That is not how you use those words. I'm using them that way myself right now. Do you want to know the fake? Oh, gosh. Is it vintage wine? It's Crown of Laurel. Oh, that's a great fake name. It sounded so real, I just rejected it. I really went for a real sounding name. It's fantastic. Yeah. um, Somebody hired John to name their paint. There are some paint colors out there called like Laurel Wreath and Crown Laurel. 
But vintage wine. You just put up. Vintage of wine. Yeah. <laughs> vintage wine was Benjamin Moore's color of the year in 2011. It's a deep purple, as you could imagine. Coral Reef, Sherwin-Williams color of the year 2015, so pretty recently. Aloe, Sherwin-Williams 2013. It's kind of a medium mint color. And Breath of Fresh Air, Benjamin Moore 2014. It's a pale blue. Hmm. That was fun, even though I got an F. Well, I'm excited to see what Benjamin Moore names their 2017, because they haven't come out with that yet. I think we should guess. Well, now that Sherwin Williams- It's going to be Crown of Laurel. (laughs) Exactly. Now that Sherwin Williams did like a taupey gray tan, I feel like Benjamin Moore won't do that. Yeah, they've got to do something colorful, I think, this year, because they did Simply White for 2016. I think it will be a deep indigo slash cobalt color, like a deep blue that is moody. Like almost a black. Yes, like an oceanic. I could see that. Ooh, tricorn black would be a good one too, because then they would. But do... they wouldn't do white and then black. I think that would be cool. I think it's going to be colorful. We'll see. Okay, but enough messing around with paint colors. We have a listener question. Do you want to push play? Yep, here we go. Hi, John and Sherry. This is Holly from Williamsburg, Virginia. And I just wanted to know if you had any tips for some artwork. I have a lot of walls that I feel like are just waiting for something large and I can't necessarily afford, you know, a canvas painting right now. And I don't want to just fill it with family pictures. So do you have any tips with some artwork that will fill the space and they could even be long-term or just more transitional as I figure out what I want in the space, but looking for some artwork tips. All right. Thanks, guys. Loving the podcast. Bye. I know we could answer this with like really specific pieces that we like as big art, but I feel like it might be more helpful, especially in podcast form, to talk about strategies for filling your walls. Because I feel like there's two kind of ways to tackle putting art on your walls. And one way is to like approach it from getting art that you really love and that has a lot of meaning and speaks to you so personally. And like, you'd rather have a blank wall than hang something up that's sort of generic. Right. There's that type of person or that type of approach. And I think the other one is the like, my house looks empty, my walls look empty, I want it to feel homier, I just need to get some stuff up on these walls. And it sounds like Holly is more of type B. It sounds like she's like, even for the interim, something just to fill the walls. For now, I'm not investing in pieces I'll love for a lifetime, but what can I do to sort of make it feel warmer and less like these empty walled halls? And I think that's where we were for a long time, especially when we were in our first couple houses, because you didn't have a lot of stuff. You have family photos, like she said, but you don't want necessarily only family photos up on your walls. And so I think we went through a long time of hanging things that were affordable and were maybe interim pieces. You know, it's not like we didn't like them, but they weren't like forever long-term permanent things. And I think it's only really been recently, maybe in the last year or two, that we've transitioned to investing in some larger, maybe more expensive, long-term pieces. I think the difference is that we had enough of these frames and sort of uh, filler is such a mean thing to say, like filler art. But But I know what you mean. Right, like not forever pieces of art that then we could slowly start trading up in areas that had art on the walls. So there wasn't this like immediate need for art. So we could wait until the right art or the art we loved came along and then slowly begin to replace things or upgrade things. Yeah, it's almost like when we talk about phase one of renovating something, I think that quote unquote filler art is also helpful in just figuring out what you like on your walls. Like you might learn that you like photography better than you like painting, or you might like graphic illustration better than you like a watercolor. 
Right, and you might learn about framing and hanging too. Like maybe you prefer white frames or only wood frames or you like a grid that's very structured, you know, the same sized frames in a grid of eight. Or you might discover you like a really eclectic look and they're all different types of frames and it's more of a gallery collage that's not symmetrical at all. Maybe they're not frames at all. Oh, maybe it's a floating acrylic type display. Maybe it's a tapestry right on the wall. Well, so... That all being said, let's talk about the strategies for kind of filling your walls. Because I think, again, that's kind of what Holly's asking about. It's like she wants to get some of the blank spots taken care of. I would say definitely check out big pieces of paper, like wrapping paper or even fabric that you could frame or, you know, staple around an inexpensive canvas. You could go to a thrift store and find an old frame that's large and just put a beautiful piece of fabric in the frame and hang it up. And you sort of, for the interim, have something interesting and colorful or textural. You could get one of those white on cream woven pieces of fabric and hang it up and it would be more of a neutral statement. I think in some ways in these moments where you're just trying to fill the wall space, it's almost easier to start with the frame size than the item in it because there are so many options for what you can put in the frames. Right. Like you're saying, wrapping paper, wallpaper, an affordable poster or print from like Etsy or Society6. Like there's a lot of affordable ways to fill a frame, but knowing the size that you're going for might be a nice way to start. Yeah, and I think Etsy is obvious but amazing because that's a way to get art that's somewhat unique and not mass produced. And you even could search by size. So if you're looking for 20 by 26, you could go on Etsy and look up your frame size and it sort of narrows your options so you're not frozen in indecision because you don't know where to start. Sometimes starting with the frame size can help. The other thing about starting from the frame is I think for us, gallery walls, I know there's tons of talk about gallery walls online. They're not a new thing. But I think the reason why so many of us lean on them is it's an easy way to fill up a lot of space on our walls. Because instead of having to invest in these really expensive large pieces, you just have to buy frames and fill them with affordable small pieces. Because if I think about our hallway in our last house, you know, that one we basically wallpapered with picture frames. Right. Like every part of the drywall was covered in Yeah. And we'll put a picture or a link to this in our show notes. But none of those frames were very big. And it really actually was an interesting exercise for us in filling frames because we just had so many that we were putting, you know, affordable prints in. We were putting family photos, but we were also putting like objects glued up in a shadow box. We were tearing pages out of magazines. Yeah, we had something made of tin that was in a frame. We had our first house had a lot drawing drawn out that we framed that we still have hanging in our third house now. So it's like, you know, there are things of significance and then there are things that are just pretty. A picture of a succulent. You could take photography. That's another idea. You don't want family photos everywhere, but you could go to an arboretum or a park and take some pretty botanical pictures. In our first bedroom, we had a triptych, you know, three frames uh, next to each other that had the same image of a sunset that we took on our first vacation together. That again, we just blew up really big. Yeah, and for a while we were like, that, look at us. And then later we were like, that wasn't printed very no, well. I think the resolution picture. was terrible. I think we didn't know how to use a camera also. Well, and this was back in the day when it was like one megapixel. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Another great place to look are calendars and books. Yes. So calendars have 12 pictures, sometimes 13 because there's a cover. And You that- could have 12 photos of kittens. <laughs> doing cute things like being in a net or hanging on the couch. And I also said books because I think beyond calendars, there are beautiful photography books. Get a big book. It might be $50, but you know what? You could probably buy two or three prints for $50 and you might be able to get these professional, beautiful photographs for $50, but it's a book of a hundred of them. And the last thing that I'll add when you're looking for things to fill your walls is don't just shop online or at Ikea or some store like 
go to antique stores or if there's like a local craft market or something, I think we've enjoyed finding things to put on our walls, whether it's like, you know, we had that like paper cutting that we got from a thrift store and it was in a terrible frame, but we took it out of the frame and put it on our hallway in our our last house. And it had like just some inherent extra meeting because it was something we discovered. Right. There's the story of like happening upon this item together. And so I think the local craft thing is really awesome. I don't know if everybody has that. Richmond has this thing in the spring and the winter, this festival of artisans. And you can buy, you know, like handmade soap and beautiful baby offerings. But it's been a great place to find people who do letterpress or illustration. And again, they're still fairly affordable, but there's something that, I don't know, just feels a little bit more precious about them because you are buying them from the maker. Yeah, I always feel like a little starstruck. Like, you made these? Oh my gosh, your signature is on it. I know, and I turn into my mom where I'm like, good for you. You are so talented. (laughs) I'm gonna put this on my wall. Let me shake your hand. (laughs) I turn into like a goober. You can also make your own stuff. I mean, we have relied on that even to make big pieces. Again, I'm not talking about the blowing up photos or whatever. This is like, you could paint something, print something, just pretend to be artists. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be complicated. In our dining room, people might have seen this in our our book. We had a really big wall to fill. And so we got a piece of plywood and Sherry and our daughter together used leftover paint to just paint this kind of abstract thing. And then we just framed it out with some wood. It wasn't fancy, but it filled the space nicely. And again, it had the kind of inherent meaning in it because we had made it. Saying make something sounds intimidating. A friend of ours took black paint on a really big brush, like almost like a brush you'd paint a room with, not a brush you'd paint art with. And she did like six sort of dry drags across the white paper. And it looked very much like a black and white abstract you'd see in a high-end store. It's a very modern look. But she was like, I did it myself. And I was like, you know what? I can't tell the difference. I can't look at that and say, oh, that was $300 at a modern art store. So I think having a little bit of confidence to just try things, and if they don't work, you just put something else in the frame. And I would say having a little bit of shamelessness about what you put in a frame. Right, like if you have a scarf that you think is pretty, but you don't wear it, try framing it. What could go wrong? And I feel like I should mention, if you have our book, Young House Love, the first book, (laughs) there's a whole chapter dedicated to art and things you can put on your wall and projects you can do to put on your wall. I just remembered this. Uh, yeah, I just <laughs> It's remember. been a few years. It has been a few years. It's one of the chapters in the book, I'm sure. It's towards the back. Thanks for your question, Holly. We'll put some links in the show notes at younghouselove.com so you can see some of the art that we are loving and also some of the posts where I have photos of the art in our own home that we've referenced in case you want some more information on any of those. And... If anyone else out there has a DIY or design question that they would like to leave on a voicemail so that we can tackle in maybe a future episode, you can call us at 571-4YHLHAP. That's Young House Love Has a Podcast, YHLHAP. Well, are you ready for some more digging, Sherry? I am ready. I am digging something. It is random, as usual, because I'm digging a specific nightstand, but then I'm also digging an idea how you could convert your nightstand to have the same feature. And the feature is a nightstand or equipment you add to your nightstand that makes it so that when you touch the nightstand, it controls your light. I know that sounds ridiculously lazy, but we actually have a track record of being lazy because in our last house, we installed remotes because it was a far reach from our bed. I couldn't reach our light. Yeah, I I don't think on my side I had an issue. It's because my nightstand set like kind of that weird recess in our wall. Right. So it was like pushed back a little and you had to like reach behind your head. So So I got a remote. Like a lazy person. (laughs) And now we're lazier. 
Now we're even lazier. We have side tables we can fully reach, easily reach the lamps. But we discovered this feature like probably a year and a half after owning these nightstands that they have this strip along the back. And for the longest time, I was like, what is that for? It's like a metal strip. It looks like a snap bracelet, but it's a t as if you straightened a snap bracelet and stapled it to the back of the dresser. And I always was like, is that like a strike plate? Like in case it hits the wall? Well, the thing that confused me more is when we bought them because we just bought these like, I don't know, four years ago. It was when we were in our second house because we like how it looked. Yeah. And when it came, it had a plug. And we were like, oh, maybe it's like a charger in one of the drawers or something. That's what I thought. It was like a smart nightstand where you could charge your equipment yeah. in the top drawer. But we weren't using it in a bedroom at the time. So and the didn't... plug wasn't in either of the drawers. It's kind of under it. So yeah. you're like, what's the point of this plug? Oh, I don't know. Let's just use the nightstand. Yeah, it wasn't until we moved it to this house. Right. We moved to this house and I think that's when we got two. We originally had one of them. Yeah. And it bounced around our second house. And then we were like, this is going to be great as a nightstand, but we need another one. And miracle of all miracles, they were still selling it. And they're actually still selling it now. And it's one of those. Well, Things. called? It has a lot of different names on the internet. We got it from Jocelyn Main, which is owned by Wayfair. So I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And it's actually on our Shop Our House page. If any oh, of you okay. are just on the Shop Our House page under the bedroom. Because we get asked a lot. Where is that from? Yeah. It looks nice. It has a bunch of little drawers on the front with knobs. But it's really only three drawers. So it's like false looking nine drawers. But they're really three drawers. Which is a lot more functional than nine tiny drawers to open to look for your socks. <laughs> but... When you plug your lamp into that plug under the dresser, suddenly when you hit that snap bracelet along the back, anywhere along the back of the dresser. So if you're, as I'm saying this, it sounds more complicated to reach behind a table. It's not. When you're laying in bed, you just reach over and slap any part of the side behind. It's not even a slap. It's a touch. It's, it's like any touch light you have. Well, and we love this feature of it so much that we are trying to figure out if there's a way to retrofit it other places because like I would love if we had the feature in our living room as well because we have to turn our lights on at the lamp as well. Right. And these nightstands are not cheap. They're not. Oh, they're really? pretty pricey. So I think if you look at them and you're like, like a million dollars too rich for my blood, Peter Six, then there is a way for you to DIY it, which I'm excited about. Yeah. So we found this product on Amazon. Disclaimer, I have not used it myself yet, but it has almost 300 reviews and it's uh, four and a half stars. And I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's called a touchpad dimmer. And so it looks pretty similar. It looks like there's a plug that goes in your wall that then uh, you can plug your lamp into. And then it has basically this black metal disc on a small wire that you can stick that disc anywhere. I imagine you could stick it to the back of your nightstand. And suddenly you've got that touchpad where you can turn off your light from the back of your nightstand. And it's only $11. I know. I feel like for experiment's sake, we should order some for the living room and see if we can do the living room lights that yeah, way. Yeah, I would totally do that. Well, I think my we're digging probably is going to come across even weirder than any of yours have. Is it coconut oil? No, it's water. <laughs> I am digging yep. water. But there's a specific reason. And this goes back to something that I've mentioned on our blog a few times in the past. It's something I call Aquatober, and I celebrate it every October, which is upon us. And I know this isn't getting more normal, is it? Nope. The gist of it is. I like that you've branded it. It has its own name. Yep. You created a logo at I one point. I don't have a logo for it. I had a graphic, which I will include in the show notes. But this is something I started actually in college because I am kind of addicted to soda because apparently caffeine has no effect on me and I could drink them with not even noticing until suddenly my body is bloated with sugar. So in college, I... I and John is like one of the rare people who can drink a Coke and go to bed. Oh, Yeah. It doesn't keep him up at all. Meanwhile, if I have anything after 3 p.m., I am up all night like an Energizer bunny. So in college, I tried to cut back on my soda consumption. 
and it wasn't working. So I had to go cold turkey and it just so happened I made this decision right on the brink of October. And I told myself, you know, the next month I'm going to go the entire month with drinking only water. So I wasn't making exceptions for Gatorade or, you know, sweet tea. Yeah. Anything like that. It was only water. I did make an exception for like milk in my cereal or like sometimes orange juice. Oh, you didn't put water in your cereal? No, that's gross. Gross. (laughs) And I did it. I'm someone who like, I think my personality is like all or nothing type yep. person. So I'm I had I had to tell myself, I'm not going to budge for 31 days. And I did it that year. That was 2004. And I've done it pretty much every single year since then. That Since I've known you, you've aquatobered. Yeah, it's like my detox month because it resets my habit of ordering a soda whenever we go out to eat or like picking up at the store. So... I do that through October. I'm going to start again this October 1st and go through the 31st. I've also gotten in the habit of extending it a little bit past, like if I've done well, rather than reward myself by binging on November 1st. you're like so soda bloated for a week after. I try to keep it up beyond that. And actually, even a few years ago, I started on January 1st and I made it all the way through July till I slipped. Yeah, that was pretty good. And it was your fault. You served me a Sprite at a wedding. I did. Well, because I thought it was water. (laughs) I'm really sorry about that. I'm glad that you've forgotten all about it, though, and you're not using it against me. Nope, that was 2013, and I still bring it up. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. We are crazy grateful for you guys. And if you have any friends or relatives that you think would enjoy our podcast, we would love it if you would share it with them. And if you've got a moment, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to tell us what you're enjoying about these episodes. They're easy to do, and they're a big help for keeping these weekly episodes coming your way. And keep tagging us on social media to tell us what you're doing while you listen. Like Sleepy Owl Crafts on Instagram, who is crocheting baby hats. They were really cute. And check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode. Like more art ideas. And John's fantastic Aquatober graphic. Later. Bye. It's called Poised Taupe. Poised. It's called Poised Taupe. Nope. Isn't it Poised? Yeah. <laughs> you're saying Poised Taupe. It's called poised taupe. For some reason, I have a lot of trouble saying that. Poised taupe. <laughs> it's called poised taupe. Bingo. It's not. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs>